Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in John chapter 17. Uh, what we have here is, um, I guess it'd be the longest prayer we have in the uh, four Gospels, uh, known as the High Priestly Prayer, uh, and it's broken down into three parts. The first part looks at um, Jesus is praying in general, speaks directly to the Father. Uh, and then starting in verse 6 down to about verse 19, Jesus prays on behalf of the disciples. And then in verse 20 to the end of the chapter, Jesus prays for you and me. So uh, if, if you ever wondered, did, did Jesus ever pray for us? Uh, he did. And it's recorded for us. And it's important to see what exactly he he prays. Well, in the first five verses, um, Jesus, uh, uh, in his prayer to, to the Father, we, we return to all the themes that we've talked about in each chapter of John's Gospel. Life, light, uh, logos, lamb. Uh, so he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, when he's speaking to the, to the disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Uh, since you have given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. Just pause there for, for a minute. First of all, notice that uh, the, the hour language, this is another theme that we've, we've, we've looked at briefly, but I haven't really developed, starts, I believe, in chapter 2 with the uh, turning water into wine, uh, the first of seven major signs in the gospel. Um, and you remember that Mary comes and says, you know, um, Hey, Jesus, you know, we're, we're out of wine at the wedding. Uh, can't you do something about this? And remember, Jesus says, Look, the, my hour hasn't come yet. It's not time for me to be doing this sort of stuff. Well, then by the end of the story, it is time for Jesus. His hour had come. Um, and then throughout the narrative, we see this, this language of the hour. Of course, the hour is speaking of uh, his crucifixion upon the cross. The hour had, had finally come. And now he says that the hour has come. So we see that the climax of, of the of, of this scene is the cross itself. And we see that, um, that God has given Christ authority to give eternal life to all whom he, he has given them. So, so we see uh, here that, that theme of life, which goes all, again all the way back to chapter 1, but we've seen it really emphasized, like in chapter 6 with Jesus, the bread of life, chapter 11 with the raising Lazarus from the dead, and other scenes where this continues to, to, to become an issue. And then notice verse 3, This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you sent. That is eternal life. Now notice that eternal life is not just, we've emphasized this, what happens when we die. But everlasting life begins when we know, that, as you say, that, that the Father is our only true God and Jesus Christ was sent by him. Right? That is the gospel. Now, embedded in that, uh, is repentance and faith and all that sort of stuff. But this is typical of Johannine theology where he really simplifies things down. Remember what we said in 1 John, to know Jesus is, is uh, rooted in love and in truth. Right? And then you see that all embedded in here. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have g gave me to do. It's fascinating. He speaks in the past tense for an event that is yet to happen. Uh, I've accomplished your work. Well, he hasn't accomplished all of it. There's still the death and resurrection. Yet he speaks with the prophetic certainty. Well, then he moves to pray for the disciples. And, and I think this is um, insightful as well. We won't read all of it, of course. 
Verse 9, I am praying for them, and I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. This is going to be a, a big theme in this chapter, and that is unity. We'll see it particularly when he, when he prays for, for us. Uh, but, but he says, look, I am going to be with the Father, leaving behind my disciples who will be in the world. So he wants to consecrate them, wants to protect them, and he wants them to be unified. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Here, notice that that there, there is this pull between our home is not here. As Paul will say in Philippians, I believe it is, our citizenship is in heaven. At the same time, uh, we are commissioned here on behalf of Christ uh, to, to be uh, agents of mercy and, and to be agents of, of, of his word. So, so, again, truth and love is a big theme in Johannine literature. So if uh, God's word is truth, we are commissioned to speak the truth. And so this is going to be the job of the disciples. After the ascension of Jesus, the disciples are to go to speak the truth to the world. Whether or not they reject it is, is not their concern. Their, their, their responsibility is to proclaim the truth. Now, because of that, they will be hated and loathed and everything else. And that is still still true to the day. I tell you what, go to any college campus, any of them, pick any of them, and um, tell people that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, demands they repent and believe the gospel. Right. We're not even getting into social, moral, political issues there. There's you know, a basic Christianity. What do you think is going to happen? Um, you, you're not going to be liked very much. Um, and because the world hates Christ. But, but notice that the word is not only to be proclaimed as truth, but because it is truth, it has a sanctifying uh, effect on us. Sanctify them in truth. Here, here's the thing. The farther away you are from engaging scripture, meditating upon it, whatnot, the farther away you are from growing in holiness. It is as simple Christianity as you can get, and you'll never outgrow that. You stay away from God's word, you, 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 you will stay away from sanctification. And, and, and those whom God saves, he sanctifies, and he sanctifies us by the gospel as revealed in the word of God. Well, starting in verse 20, we get Jesus praying for us. I thought we would read the whole thing. Um, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Remember, their word will be truth. That's why we believe in the New Testament written by the apostles, including the Gospel of John that we're reading now. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the word may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me for the foundation of the world. I just want to pause. The first half of this prayer is about unity. And you look at Christianity, it's, it's, 
it's almost the opposite of it too. Now, I am not someone that is against denominations. Uh, I, I'm not. I think denominations allow us to be in unity. The problem is, is that uh, typically what divides believers are not things that matter. Think about it, over the last few years, we've been divided over politics unnecessarily. And I think it's an area that the American evangelicals really, really, really need to repent of. People on both sides of the political aisle. But man, we, we divide over everything. I've been in ministry long enough. Uh, I have plenty of people leave churches and get mad and blah, blah, blah over things that don't matter. But here's the thing. If we are sanctified in the truth, we will benefit from the blessings of unity. So where you have division, we saw this in 1 Corinthians, didn't we? That is a clear evidence there is a refusal to be sanctified in the truth of the gospel. He goes on, uh, we, we already read verse 24, um, that, that we would be with, with Christ. Um, verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Notice the emphasis of the word know, which is a, a major theme in First uh, John. I made them to... I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So here it comes. So Jesus prays for three things. One, unity, knowledge, and love. Unity, truth, and, and love is, is, is the, the issues he's uh, looking at here. And, and that is very Johannine in, in, in theology and whatnot. We get this in the, in the epistles. At the same time, it is something I think we need to think more of. To grow in unity, to grow in truth, and to grow in love. If we grow in truth and love, we will have unity. And that is what Jesus prayed for for us. He didn't pray for your ingrown toenail. Um, he prayed that we would grow in the truth of the gospel, the love rooted in the cross and demonstrated in the cross, and the unity which is a blessing of it. Something for us to think about. Lord willing to see you guys here tomorrow.